set up our new sermon series. Let me give you a prayer request and a praise. So first, prayer request. We got a lot of folks in our congregation sick. Everything from little babies with ear infections up to flu with COVID. Fortunately, none life-threatening or anything. But if you see somebody that you would normally be here, just shoot them a text, check in on them, encourage you to pray for them. Again, lots of ick going around, right? So we're also going to wash our hands and everything, and I'd just like to point this out. I went and got one of those at-home tests, and it said negative. So, there we go. Right? Of course, when you read those instructions, it wants you to, like, stand on one foot, and, and if you don't do it exactly this way, you can't really know, right? But, happy to be here, feeling good. Uh, praise, let me just brag on our church a little bit. Over the last two weeks, we've had two different construction-related outreach projects. One for a homebound man in our church where we went and built a ramp at his house. And also yesterday we had a group of about 15 of us or so in Clarksville helping our church plant. <coughs> one of the church partners, one of the church plants that we're sponsoring there, uh, Real Life Fort Campbell. And then one, we not only had a good time, right, but we were able to help get their building prepared for an influx of people to come and everything from painting we put holes in the wall that they asked us to put in the wall, right? <laughs> Made little windows between some of the rooms, cleaned up some trash, fixed some toilets. And friends, we just enjoy time together. And so just wanted to brag on our church for being involved in the community and knowing that when you give and when you support those ministries, they're making a difference in people's lives, both here and even all the way in Clarksville as they reach uh, military families there at the base. So, excited about that. Let me set up our new sermon series this way. I want you to imagine if George Washington were able to travel 200, 300 years into the future to today. And he'd probably be hearing a lot of what we're talking about, right? He might have heard you talk about, uh, he might have heard you talk about the Super Bowl. He might have went, what's the Super Bowl? What's up with this great piece of pottery everybody's talking about? And then you got to stop him and go, well, George, there's this game called football. You got a lot you got to explain to him, right? About football. He's going to want to know what in the world are the Kansas City Chiefs? What are the 49ers? That's right. He's going to go, who is Taylor Swift? And what does she do? What does she have to do with all of this, right? My mic turned off when I talked about Taylor Swift. I'm gonna. <laughs> I have not. I'm just gonna let y'all interpret that how you want to. But you have a lot to explain to Mr. George, right? About just even the cultural phenomenon of commercials and what exactly is the Super Bowl, right? So I want you to imagine now, instead of bringing George Washington 300 years into the future, imagine us traveling back 3,000 years to read about their specific cultural practices and traditions. It might feel like explaining football to a colonial man, except you would be the colonial man. We'd be very lost as to what's going on. This is some of the difficulty that we have when we come to a book like the book of Leviticus. We travel back 3,000 years to customs and practices that are very ancient to us. But this book is not just an ancient book. It's also a timeless book filled with eternal truths written down for your instruction. 
The Apostle Paul says this about the Old Testament, and it includes Leviticus uh, in Romans 15.4. He says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scripture, we might have hope. So Leviticus was written for you, that you might have hope. Its human author was Moses. Its divine authorship is by the Holy Spirit. And what is true of all the scripture is also true for Leviticus. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then you're going to stop and go, but pastor, certainly Leviticus isn't profitable and useful for my life. That's the place where my through the Bible reading plan dies every single time. But I want you to just consider a few things about Leviticus. First, did you know Leviticus actually contains one of the most quoted verses in the entire Bible? Even non-Christians know this verse, Leviticus 19.18. At least they know the back part of it. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. That gets its origin in the book of Leviticus. You may have a bumper sticker with the book of Leviticus as its verse. This book is also of apologetic value. Students, you may go off to university or go get out of you know, your parents' house and, and be out in the world a little bit. You're going to have somebody challenge you about why in the world you would obey what the Bible has to say when Leviticus says you can't eat bacon. Why should you listen to anything that tells you not to eat bacon? How are you to put all of this together? And we must be ready with an answer. And there are answers that we're going to see as we go through the book. But ultimately, this book is about Jesus. In fact, all the Bible finds its yes and amen in Jesus. So let's dive in, find the book of Leviticus, third book of your Bible. And we're going to open up this book a little bit this morning because the book begins where Exodus ends. In fact, Leviticus is picking up on the story that began all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis took us from creation to Joseph and the children of Israel being in Egypt. Exodus picked up with the offspring of Israel in Egypt and got them all the way to the deserts of Sinai, but they're unable to enter the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a tent that was portable that functioned as sort of a, a temple while they were journeying through the wilderness. And Leviticus picks up with instructions relating on how to enter the tabernacle. In fact, let's look at Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. Look how the book opens. We see this. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. So he spoke to him from the tabernacle. And some form of the phrase, the Lord spoke to Moses, appears 37 times in this short book. So God is, through this book, wanting to speak to Moses and to us. And the first issue he's going to address is the issue of sacrifices. In fact, the first seven chapters of the book deal with the sacrifices of people and the priests. And here's a main idea. I think you can walk away with it. There's a life lesson from this section, it is this, that sacrifice is a part of life. 
sacrifice is a part of life. This isn't even just true if you're from a Christian background. Every person from every background and every worldview has a form of sacrifice. It may not be goats or grain, but all of us sacrifice for something and towards something greater. Some sacrifice their money, their time, their efforts to the God of politics, thinking that, well, if we just get the right person in the right position, they're going to make things all right. That's proven to be an empty idol at times, hasn't it? We've, there's the God of self-indulgence that people offer to. There are people who will give anything, offer anything, and suffer any consequence for that next thrill. Or that next greater experience of pleasure. Sacrifice is a part of life, even for the people of God. And rather than looking at what all Leviticus has to say about sacrifices, I just want to isolate the first three chapters of what are called the regular offerings of the nation of Israel. This was the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the peace offering. And, sh and show us four lessons from the general sacrifices here. Four lessons, because sacrifice is a part of life, and this section teaches you how to figure out what you're sacrificing toward and how we ought to offer proper praise and sacrifice to God. Let's start with the burnt offering. And here's the lesson of the burnt offering for you. The burnt offering teaches preparation in worship. The burnt offering teaches preparation in worship. Look at Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Each of these offerings had flexibility built in. They could bring from the herd. Verse 10 is going to talk about how they could bring a sheep or a goat. And verse 14 says someone could even bring a bird, but that was the option that they had. But for the burnt offering, only the best would do. For some of us, the best we can give is a goat from the herd. For others, it was a bird. But friends, regardless, in order to come into the presence of God, preparation is important. You don't just casually stroll into God's presence. You give it Thoughts. And when worship is understood as offering a sacrifice, it becomes a deliberate decision rather than mindless routine. And we are tempted to come into the presence of God just treating it like just another thing we do. Got to check the list. But friends, when it becomes a sacrifice, it certainly loses that level of, of, of mundaneness. I want you to imagine that it is sacrifice day in Israel. But friends, you've got to get to the tabernacle. You've got to get there early because there's always a line, right? And so you set an alarm, right? It goes off. You've got to make sure you get up. You arrive on time. You've got to grab this male offering without blemish. Imagine somebody off. You've got to get a lot of kids together. These folks had to get goats together to get them to the temple. And think about even all the time it took. They had to make sure that whenever they were managing their flock that they were going to have a spotless lamb available when they needed it. So they were having to keep their whole thing in mind, everything as they led these flocks to make sure they were going to have an animal ready to go to the tent of meeting. Then they got to get the animal, they got to pack it up. They don't have a car, so maybe they throw it over their back, and they take off to the tents. 
that all requires a plan. And I don't know about you, I know some of us may feel like we wrangle animals to church when we bring our kiddos, but thankfully none of us have to wrangle wild animals with us when we come into the presence of God. Yet we all must come prepared for worship. Friends, we are, not, no, we are no longer bound to bring animal sacrifices because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. But friends, the expectation of preparation remains an essential part of God honoring worship. Consider this, when you come to worship, do you come with a plan? Is gathering with God's people a forethought or an afterthought? Friends, we can plan our whole weekend around UK basketball just to watch them have a less than great season, right? How much more should we plan our lives around the worship of God who gave us everything? Do we recognize that when it comes to worship, you get what you put in? And if you come to church looking for something to be critical of, you'll find it. If you come to church looking for hypocrites, you'll find them. And in fact, but what if instead of looking for what we could get, we look for what we can give? What if instead of looking for how we can be served, we look for how we can serve and encourage others? Because preparation changes everything because preparation gives perspective. And Leviticus wants to get to the very heart of the issue because you sacrifice to what you prioritize for and what you plan for is what matters the most to you. What you will get up when the alarm goes off early in the morning, that shows what's important to you. So many people see Leviticus as a book of works, but I think that misses the point. I want you to imagine the amount of faith this whole situation with the sacrifices took. How much faith it takes to bring your best to God. Look at what happens the rest of the way with the burnt offering. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. He, being the one bringing the offering, shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar, so that, so that it that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he will fillet the burnt offering, cut it into pieces, and the son of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat on the wood that is on the fire on the altar, but its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water, and the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. I want you to imagine these people regularly take this sacrifice, the ox, the goat, the bird, whatever it is, they put it on the altar, they kill it, they flay it, they cut it up, and they send it up in smoke. Friends, animals in this day were far more powerful than currency. Animals could have provided for travel, for food, for clothing, for heat, for a variety of other issues. And consider the faith it takes to have the, one of the most valuable things you own go up in smoke because you believe God is pleased with that sacrifice and because you believe that God is worth it. 
And to believe that nothing offered to the Lord is ever wasted. He was just as pleased with the people who the best they could bring was a bird as he was the people who could bring the best of their herd. Friends, no act of faith is ever too small. And that's why when we offer sacrifice, when they would offer the burnt offering, they needed to come prepared. And when we come and offer God worship, we must come prepared in order to give him God-honoring worship. Can I issue a challenge to each and every one of us over the next few weeks? We've got about six weeks between now and Easter. Can I challenge you over the next six weeks to make a plan to make gathered worship a priority? And to Come prepared for it over the next six weeks. I promise when it comes to gathering with God's people, it truly is what you put in is what you will get out of it. For some, that's going to start with making Saturday steps in order to make Sunday service a priority. That may mean setting an alarm, canceling late night Saturday plans, laying out clothes for the night before, whatever it takes to make a plan to come and offer sacrifices of praise to God alongside God's people. For others, physically getting here isn't necessarily the struggle. You're used to that. Your routine is set that way. But there are other ways we can come prepared to make the most of our time together. Do we pray for one another? Pray for the worship team. Pray for the people that are looking after the kiddos in the back. Review last week's message. Read ahead for this week's message. Pray for the pastor or whoever is going to bring the message. Pray for God to meet with all of us powerfully when we come together. Friends, preparation is required because worship is a sacrifice and God is worth it. Sacrifice is a part of life, and what you prepare for is an indicator of who you are sacrificing to. What you are preparing for is ultimately an indication of who you are worshiping and how serious you take that worship. The burnt offering teaches us about preparation, but there's more that Moses would want to tell us. He wants to teach us second about the grain offering, which teaches about appreciation for God's gifts. The burnt offering teaches us preparation for worship. Second, the grain offering teaches us appreciation for God's gifts. In all of these sacrifices, they gave back a portion of what God had given to them. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1. When anyone offers a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, he shall be, his offering shall be of fine flour. He shall pour oil on it. And put frankincense on it. Notice the language. These sacrifices are to be brought to the Lord. They were considered voluntary offerings, giving back to God a portion of what He has given to us. Have you ever thought about how when they would pass the plate at church, what do they call it? They call it an, an offering, right? Because we're meant to give back a, a portion of what God has given. To us, not in begrudging submission, because guilt will never get the outcome that we desire, but out of gladness and appreciation and thanksgiving for what God has given to us. It's a sacrifice, an offering of praise and thanksgiving. It's done because the Lord commands it, because we desire to see Him get praise for it. That's the central purpose of the grain offering. They were to give of the grain out of their first fruits, and Leviticus 2 describes this in detail. Verse 4, 
When you bring a grain offering, baked in the oven as an offering, it shall be unleavened loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, or unleavened waffles smeared with oil. And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. He shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And if your offering is a grain offering cooked in a pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil, and you shall bring the grain offering that is made on these to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar. So they cook this unleavened grain. They mix it often with oil, salt, frankincense, and then they offer it to the Lord. Basically, the Lord is having them bake pancakes. Right? You can think of waffles. And these would have been offered and burned in the sacrifice with some being enjoyed by the priests. And it was given as a thanksgiving and a praise to God. And just like they gave out of the best of their herd, God called them to give out of the best of their field, out of their grain, as an act of thanksgiving and praise. Friends, sacrifice can include more, though, than writing a check or baking some grain. In fact, every time we come together, what we are doing right now when we sing, when we listen to God's word, when we encourage one another before and after the service, friends, we are offering a sacrifice of praise to God. Because friends, let me tell you something, bigger than your wallet, God wants your words and God wants your heart. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13 puts it this way. Through him, meaning through Jesus, let us offer, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. When we give thanks to God, we make everything a sacrifice to him. Have you ever thought about why Christians stop and pray before they eat? Historically, we didn't just do this because it's a routine and because everybody did it. That's never a reason to do anything. But it's saying, hey, what's before us is something that we're thankful for, and it's something that we're wanting to honor God with and think about him and give him the acknowledgement of his name. Friends, when you pray over your Mexican that you'll enjoy after church today, it's saying, thank God for chicken, cheese, and rice. He has given that to us. And did you know, by doing that and by eating it in a way that honors him, friends, you're giving thanks to God. Through El Bracero. Friends, when you give to your local church, friends, it's because you're giving back a portion of what God has given to you so that others might experience the good news of the gospel. When you sing in the car or sing here with praise with the people of God, we are offering a sacrifice of praise from our mouths to his ears. Friends, what are we thankful for? We're so tempted to leave Thanksgiving at the end of November kind of lost between Halloween and Christmas, right? When was the last time we just stopped in the midst of the noise of the world and gave thanks and praise to God for his good gifts? In fact, parents, one of the best ways you can witness to your children is to teach them the importance of thanksgiving. Did you know the importance of being thankful? Because all thanksgiving is ultimately evangelistic. Friends, sacrifice is a part of life. Every person is hardwired to give praise and thanks. Right? Every single person. It is ingrained in human nature to offer thanks 
because thanksgiving is meant to have thanks receiving from the one who gave the gift, right? You give someone a gift, they go, thank you. They're offering, they're offering thanks, and you're receiving thanks. And friends, there are certain things in life that you can only give thanks for to God. God is the only proper recipient of that thanks. Friends, you can't thank an impersonal universe that you're alive. Friends, you can't thank your parents that you were born to them because they had very little to do with it. And where they're born and how they got there, there's someone above them who put them here and put them where they are. Friends, when we give thanks, it ultimately is meant to overflow up to the giver of every good gift. Thanksgiving is one of the many fingerprints of God all over every single one of us. And we were made to give thanks to God and to offer a sacrifice of praise to acknowledge His name. The burnt offering teaches us about preparation in worship. Second, the grain offering teaches us appreciation for God's gifts. Third, let's consider the peace offering, which teaches us purification from sin. Purification from sin. Sin. In fact, both the burnt offering and the peace offering in many ways are connected with the purification from sin. Anytime as you look through Leviticus, look through the Old Testament, they're offering an animal. Likely the purification of sin is somehow connected to this. Look at Leviticus chapter 3, verse 1. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace, of a peace offering, if he offers an animal from the herd, male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord, and he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall throw the blood against the sides of the altar, and from the sacrifice of peace as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys with the fat that's on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver he shall remove from the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So with the peace offering, they take the animal, and just like the burnt offering, they kill it, they fillet it, and they have a barbecue right at the entrance of the tent of meeting. You could smell it everywhere that they're burning these animals. But as you notice with the peace offering, particularly, they would burn and cut off the fatty parts of the animal, which in the ancient world was the best part. That's the nutritious part, at least in their mind, right? And this was done at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Imagine if you were walking out here and there was, and you were coming in this morning and we just had a giant animal burning in the parking lots. Maybe we'll try the other church down the street, right? <laughs> but friends, it also was a reminder to them that friends, the only way into where God dwelt was through sacrifice. The tabernacle, remember, had three layers. It was meant to sort of be a portable temple, a portable garden of Eden with God in the middle. And it was meant to teach that the way into God's presence, into everlasting joy, and into peace with God was through sacrifice. But before we think this is just crazy, in your daily life you offer sacrifice for whatever you believe can address your deepest need. Friends, this is why addiction is so powerful. 
friends are willing to give of everything they have because they're seeking escape or numbing of the pain or something. This is why people will give even beyond reason to feel like they belong and have purpose and have happiness and have identity. This often happens when men get to be about middle age and they have the, the, the mid-age crisis, right? When they go out and they buy the, the, the Harley and they give all this money to this because they feel like they've lost their sense of belonging and identity and purpose. People will often offer sacrifices to deal with their guilt and their sin problem, thinking, man, if I just spend money on this or have this, then the world that is so broken will be made right and my problems will be solved. The whole world is marketing this towards you. If you ever watch the commercials, it's all about having belonging and purpose and dealing with your issues. And friends, all of these products are making promises they simply can't. They're like, hey, come along, have the latest iPhone. Have everything you need right at the touch of the hand. Friends, these new products will leave you empty. It may numb the guilt, but it will never neutralize it. And it may make life in a broken world easier, but it will never fix all the problems in your world. In fact, often these things make life a little bit harder in this world in many ways. Friends, all of us long to have a sacrifice that can bring us what we've been searching for. To have our purpose that we were made for confirmed. And friends, there is a sacrifice that can bring us into the presence of our Creator to enjoy the, what we were made for. But it wasn't through bulls and goats. The people needed a perfect, sinless sacrifice. And it's important to realize that these sacrifices in Leviticus did not forgive sins in and of themselves. It wasn't as if God accepted the death of animals in the place of human sin. In fact, the book of Hebrews, which our ladies are studying on Wednesday night, is sort of a commentary on the book of Leviticus. And it tells us this, Hebrews 10.4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. These sacrifices in and of themselves could not take away sin, but the faith that they had in the one who the sacrifices pointed toward, that is their way to forgiveness of sin. They were saved by faith in the promise. And as we've seen, this whole system required faith. You don't go through this and bring a, t and bring a goat to church to offer in the parking lot if you don't believe that what God says it. That settles it. And every single aspect of these sacrifices pointed beyond themselves. The sacrifices teach at a base that none of us can save ourselves. They had to bring something with them. Notice that when they sacrificed, it called for a spotless animal without blemish. This pointed toward a sinless sacrifice that they would need. The one offering the sacrifice had to place their hand on the head of the animal, a sort of symbolic transferring of their sin to it as it died in their place. And even whenever they would kill the animal, the blood is thrown against the altar and against everyone, showing that the sacrifice was even cleansing the tent and everyone involved would be cleansed by the blood. Friends, peace with God was available 
sacrifice. But it wasn't the bulls and goats that would achieve it. Otherwise, friends, we'd be having to offer goats this morning to come in here. But rather, the sacrifice is anticipated today when God would no longer dwell in a tent in the desert, but he came to dwell in the tent of human flesh and offered himself on a cross as the perfect, sinless Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. These sacrifices anticipate the perfect life, the substitutionary death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus. Because in Jesus, true peace with God is found. See the hope of the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 tells us this. Knowing that you were ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold or perishable things such as bulls and goats and birds, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. What Jesus has offered is greater than the burnt offering, the grain offering, or the peace offering. We don't have to continually offer sacrifices to make ourselves right with God because God has provided the perfect, sinless lamb in his son, Jesus Christ. And in light of that sacrifice, the only proper response is first to trust in that finished work and then to give your life as a sacrifice of worship to the Lord King. Any sacrifices we offer now are not to earn God's uh, approval, but rather because Jesus has purchased God's approval on our behalf, we are free to give away for his glory and renown and praise. Sacrifice is a part of life. And did you know that these sacrifices were actually meant to teach you how to live? Here's the last thing I want you to see. All of these sacrifices teach you the purpose of your life is dedication of your life to God. Friends, we don't come offering a burnt offering, but we do live by the lesson of the burnt offering. We come prepared into God's presence. We don't have to go and make pancakes and bring them to church, though I wouldn't be against anybody bringing pancakes, right? We don't have to offer them as a grain offering. To give a, we do come and give appreciation for God's good gifts. And we come trusting in the one who fulfills the peace offering. The one who can bring peace between God and man. Jesus Christ. These sacrifices teach us, friends, that God doesn't just want your Sunday. He wants your every day. Every day that ends in Y is God's. And that's what he wants. These sacrifices are meant to teach us something about how to live because the purpose of your life is to be a living sacrifice. The Apostle Paul says it this way, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Friends, what we should picture as we read Leviticus is not a goat or a bull or a bird on a fiery altar, but our lives on a fiery altar being offered up to the Lord. Jesus gave his life so that we might sacrifice our lives for him. We might give everything we have to serve him as our 
that our lives might be a pleasing aroma. Did you know what's after they burn every offering? There's this emphasis on offering an aroma up to God. Friends, does your life smell good to God? Sacrifice is a part of life. Every single one of us are offering something to Him. And what aroma does your life send up? Are you giving Him your best or simply your rest? Are you sacrificing to other idols that will never sacrifice, that will never satisfy? Let me close with this, because wherever you find yourself this morning, it is never too late to turn around. Because the tent of meeting stood open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They could turn your life around in a moment. And friends, the good news is Jesus stands at the true tent of meeting, in heaven today, having died, risen, and ascended, and stands today to receive any and all who would come to him in repentance and faith. He stands ready to receive the sacrifice of our hearts, our words, and our lives. What will you bring to offer to your king? Let's stand and prepare to offer him a sacrifice of praise and worship this morning. Whatever response we need to make, whatever commitment we need to make, whatever we need to do to get our lives aligned in the way God would have us so we can offer him the sacrifice he deserves. Now is the time to prepare our hearts to do that and to take that step of faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have given us these sacrifices. Lord, not just as interesting parts of the Bible to read, not to become the place where we struggle in our Bible reading plan, but to teach us about what you want for our life. You desire us to be people of worship who offer you preparation, appreciation. You have come and offered purification so that we might dedicate and devote our lives to you. Lord, may we offer our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you, giving you Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory.
Every need will bow, every tongue will shout. All glory to Jesus Sacrifice that Dom has done, but not only Dom has done, the sacrifice that 